0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the Utah Jazz, who we saw star in that contest. And then I'm going to be tackling an issue the Thunder have been dealing with really for the last month, but in particular the last five games. They're in the center Of a center crisis. So, I'm gonna break that down, kinda talk about what we've seen in the rotation and when we might get some clarity and get that center spot back to where it was in the previous months. And to top it all off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, you do not want to miss out on that. But, starting things out, guys, I wanna talk about the Thunders game against the Utah Jazz okc entered this one without momentum they got crushed on friday uh, against minnesota like 37 points but you got to remember on wednesday they had a very strong effort against the nuggets so they weren't looking all that bad and in utah's camp i was looking at the away broadcast for some of this game they had like a really melancholy intro like player post game interviews just how bad their like 20 point loss was or whatever like give me a break first of all but they were hyping this game up like immensely probably more than they should have uh but you get to the starting unit and one thing's pretty damn obvious Darius Baisley is the starting center Isaiah Roby was a late scratch man had averaged 23 and a half points over the last week now he's not playing and you don't have guys like favors you don't have Muscala no JRE. So Bays assumed his first starting center gig of his career, and you had to fill in the gashes. Aaron Wiggins was back, uh, so that helped out a little bit. But you're playing the Utah Jazz. You're playing three-time defensive player of the year and Rudy Gobert. That guy is not a small ball center, and Darius Baysley sure as hell is. So there's a clear uh, a difference and a clear point of attack for Utah. Just pack the paint, go inside, should be doing well, and then defensively, and isn't popping off, you should be pretty good uh, in terms of having that height discrepancy and having a more bouncy guy and Darius Baisley in front of you. So when I was going into this, I was thinking OKC was going to get just mutilated around the basket to begin the game. Quinn Snyder would just force feed the ball to go bare. They'd look to get a ton of baskets off penetrations, maybe some high ball screens for Mitchell, uh, but they didn't do that whatsoever. They started the game out shooting just three ball after three ball. And it was playing in OKC's favor from a game plan perspective. But the results went all Utah's way. They started six of eight from downtown. Finished the quarter with seven threes. And they had a really big lead midway into the quarter. 23 to 11 run. You saw Royce O'Neal hit three of their first six shots. I think Bojan Bogdanovic got in there somewhere, but everybody was getting their own there. And for OKC, you know, they're looking to combat it, and they were able to actually trim it in a single digits. It was a nine-point game, though, 33-24 to 24 in Utah's court. And you'd think, after trimming it down, maybe that second unit push helps them out. When you look at last year's performances, and even this year, their second unit always seemed to Kind of be the pride of the team. They would get Kenny Hustle out there. You'd start to see maybe some other spurts from like a Teo or a Poku. And they'd be good. But you have a gutted roster. Don't really have a second unit to rely on. And Utah is pretty depth heavy. And OKC just couldn't hit shots. They started 0 of 8 to open the second quarter. And on the return, Utah, they didn't go 0 of 8. They just started pouring down baskets again. 13-0 run for them. 22-point lead before they could get a basket. And OKC, they tried to get something going. There were a bit of sparks that were made. Lindy Waters had a very impressive chase down block on, I believe it was Royce O'Neal. But it was just like a cross-court pass that got tipped. Easy deflection drill for O'Neal. He drives inside, starts from the right wing, and looks like he should have a clean cut, like two-handed jam. You see Lindy just sneak into the screen, soars up, and he's able to get him up top, reject the shot. That was my favorite play of the game. That was my favorite thing I saw from Lindy, probably on his contract thus far, to be honest with you. So he had that surprise. Started to see some shots fall, but Utah stayed pretty damn consistent. They were up 61 to 45 after 24 minutes of play. When you look at where the numbers were coming from, from Utah, look towards that three point arc, 14 of 25, that's 56% from three point land. And for OKC, they shot three of 19, that's 15.8% and you don't really need to break this down too heavy. That's terrible. That's like one of the worst outputs they would have if the game ended like right then and there. That's probably one of their worst like two outputs of the season from deep. So it was atrocious. You didn't have to work inside because you're yielding the results right there. And then for Oklahoma City, had a one-man band. SGA, only source of offense. 8 of 14 20 points and 5 assists going his way in 20 minutes. Nobody else was able to notch double figures. Darius Bazzy was the second best with 7 points. He shot 1 of 4 from downtown. So that was kind of my big takeaway on why Utah was performing the way they were. You didn't have to depend on Rudy Gobert such as uh, you know some of these other teams had with Karl-Anthony Towns and Jokic for example. Nope. Just six points for Gobert, and then for Whiteside, he played ten minutes, didn't even have to put up a shot. So they had their own method of scoring, and it wasn't any any problem. But they started to slow down in the third quarter, and it gave OKC just a glimmer of hope. They rallied back, and it was an eleven point game in the ending moments of the third quarter. Gotta remember, they were down twenty two in that second quarter, so that was big time. Then Utah threw back in their starters, had a pretty big run, and the deficit was into the 20s uh, yet again. So, OKC, they had a big mountain to climb in the fourth quarter, and the second unit actually did a pretty damn good job. And it starts with Teo Maladon, played with OKC uh, as that minute leader, as a rookie this season. He's been up and down, had to play in the G League in January. Now he's back due to injury. Uh, But he really just made his own run out of thin air. Had a beautiful straightaway three point shot that gave them a 7 0 run. And it actually cut this game down uh, into single digits. And then Utah, on the receiving end of that, had to call their timeout and they had to throw their starters back out on the floor. So it was a game where, you know, smooth sailing for Utah, really three quarters in, but just those end-of-game runs that OKC throws out there, they force you to throw your starters back in, and that's exactly what happened for Utah. Saw guys like Donovan Mitchell, Bojan Bogdanovic, having to play well over 30 minutes. Mitchell played 35. Gobert to play 34. Like, this was a starting game for them. That's what they're doing in the playoffs, and they're they're having to play this rotation against OKC on a back-to-back capper. Definitely don't want to be doing that. Uh, And then for the Thunder, I mean... They had to play their stars a lot of minutes. Understandably so. They're looking to make that push. But ultimately, it just was not enough. Utah took the game 116-103. to 103. OKC fell to 20-44 and 44 on the season. Still good for fourth worst in reverse standings. Uh, and they'll be looking to collect some more ping pong balls as things begin to play out. But I want to talk more about this game, some of the stats, and some of the stories First though, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, Call or text the TN Red Line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, moving to the stats of this game doesn't look great on paper lost by 13 points that's another double digit margin you chalk up in the last column but they still kept it close like i noted if you're able to keep it within single digits inside five minutes i think you did a pretty good job in your comeback efforts when you were down 20 points and kind of hanging around that margin for about a quarter of the game look at utah i mean this was one where they just didn't even have to utilize their size advantage just kept going from three spraying and praying and the prayers were working guys like they finished this game damn near on a historic fashion shot 23 of 52 from downtown that's 44.2 percent but when you break down the individual stats you actually do have a franchise record on your hands Bojan Bogdanovic, the man who, every time he plays OKC, rips them apart, set a franchise record with 11 made threes. He went 11 of 19, or excuse me, 11 of 18 on the game. That's 61.1%. That's all the field goals he made, by the way. He had a, a pair of free throws, but it got him to 35 points on the night, right behind him had Donovan Mitchell, he had four three-pointers, he finished with 24 points and 10 assists. Jordan Clarkson, the microwave off the bench, he adds three triples, he has 20 points on the night, and Rudy Gobert had a double-double with 12 points and 17 rebounds. So this couldn't have gone any better for the Jazz. They could not buy a bucket in their last game, and then they turn things around just hitting any shot that they're really looking at. And for OKC, They didn't have uh, that sort of ordeal going on. Shot 42.4% on the game. 17 of 19 from the foul line, which is really damn impressive. But that's not what matters here. When you have Utah hitting just three ball after three ball, as the Thunder group, kind of young, they want to try and match that. Shot 40 times from downtown in the game. Only mustered up eight. They went 8 of 40. That's just 20% from downtown. And it marked their fourth worst three-point effort of the season. And this one stings because if you're going to beat the Utah Jazz, you had to have the three ball down. And this isn't just a matter of the Utah game. This is a matter of, you know, Minnesota or Denver, right? Where the three was essential. That was essential to them defeating the Nuggets, When it came to Minnesota's game, you know, you got blown out of the water. So you didn't check the box, and you definitely didn't check the box in this one. It becomes even more critical when you don't have Isaiah Roby. Roby has been a center for the Thunder for two seasons now. He's used to stepping up and defending some of these seven-footers. Darius Baisley, unless it's Kevin Durant, is not guarding seven-footers in the NBA. Or he's not supposed to be. If he gets swapped down, he'll do it in stints. Can't really have them doing that the entire night. And Dagnall tried shuffling around the rotations late. Poku was guarding Gobert. You had Whiteside as well, kind of on that matchup. But it's not a very favorable one uh, defensively for sure. And offensively, it's a very risky game to play. When Roby went off for 26 against the Nuggets, a lot of those points inside were a byproduct of him going four or five from three because it opens all three levels up and for a more flat-footed defender like a Jokic you know that's gonna get him kind of caught in the crossfire a lot of times with Baisley, you need to hit these threes this is the same talk whether he's a power forward or he's a center I've given this spiel multiple times on the podcast I'm sure every podcaster has done so but he needs to hit the threes to keep his defenders up on him because guess what if someone's playing tight on Baisley. He can turn the corner pretty damn fast. He's an athletic guy, has a really good gather to his game. Same with like Euro steps as well. So he's very advanced around the basket. But how is he going to get those high quality looks? Starts from hitting those 20 footers. He did not hit really anything from downtown. Shot one of seven on the game. And that's about all she wrote in terms of how he was going to make a really big impact on this game. So he finished with 11 points and 5 rebounds. Is that a great game for him? No, not at all. But I I feel like you got to give him a pass just due to the nature of this game. An hour ago, he thought he was playing power forward like usual. Then he has to tip off looking into the eyes of Rudy Gobert. I would be scared. I don't think Bayes was scared one bit, but... With the shot kind of waning, it does make life a lot more difficult, and and that's what really happened here. But looking beyond Bays, you go towards your star in SGA. Oh my goodness, has he been on, on one. I mean, he's averaged 33.3 points post-All-Star break, and post-injury, really. He's been carrying the Thunder. Every single game, or I guess five out of six now, he's dropped 30 plus. And the one where he didn't drop 30, he was one point away from it. He had 29. This game, he had 33 points on 11 of 23 shooting. Didn't really look towards the three. Went 0 of 4. And then on free throws, went 11 of 12. A lot of Jazz players were looking to kind of close in. Leave the corner wide open. If you're shooting 20%, yeah don't freaking guard them so he's having a lot of bodies getting to his way but didn't matter if he wasn't hitting the shot he was bumping into somebody and getting the whistle blown in his direction elite level effort from him yet again and then for him to also be able to near a triple double he had seven rebounds and eight assists in this one yeah looks like a star to me and even the away broadcast had to tip their cap to him said he's probably a future superstar in the NBA so I'll, I'll take their read on that I know their intro uh, going in this game was a little bit odd but they got my credit back uh, based on their evaluation of SGA moving beyond him though and moving beyond Bay's, there's not a ton here Olivier Saar I will say probably had his best game as a pro now a lot of these stats came in garbage time when they did make that late run but he was one rebound shy of his first double double actually 11 points and nine rebounds on the game for him he played 20 minutes four of nine from the field hit a left corner three and five of his nine rebounds came on the offensive end Moses Brown effect kicking in when the games get out of hand when it's a 20 point deficit really turns into a game of who's taller, because you're not boxing out that much, Uh, I think Utah was kind of in that party where Olivier Saar just snagged a rebound, they'd be like, oh, okay, I guess they are uh, still trying to be physical here, Uh, and that's how you get to that number, of course, but yeah, I mean, Saar, he's been a solid fill-in for uh, some of these guys, and you don't have a traditional center outside of him right now, so Definitely want to put him under a microscope, and that's what they have been doing. Same goes for Poku, 6 of 15 on the game. He actually did get a double-double, 12 points and 11 rebounds, 4 assists as well. He's been spectacular in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio, and he hasn't been a big ball handler uh, as of late, and that's probably a good thing. I mean, when you look at his rookie tape, he was a ball handler a lot next to Teo. They just didn't have anyone to play, and... You're going to give the basketball to the 19-year-old. Now, you kind of have a system in place where there's SGA, there's Trey Mann, there's Giddy when he's available. So he's kind of on the back burner, but it's worked out well, and off the catch, he's nice. Mann has been a sneaky good cutter as well. Trey Mann was a guy that walked into this game on a seven-game streak of tallying double digits. No more after the game. Shot just 2 of 13 and mustered out 6 points. So you might want to work on that a little bit. Uh, Aaron Wiggins, he was able to drop 11 in his return game. But this was one where, yeah, they struggled. Uh, You really can't fault him, though, just due to how everything came up. And, you know, with that and with the rotational issues, it's led to some patterns. And I want to break that down today kind of just assessing what we've seen from the center spot as of late how that's translated to the actual statistics and when we could see returns from some of the guys on the roster and i'll start it out by saying this okc has really just took on the role of being that small ball group right last season al horford decides he doesn't want to play half the games isaiah roby assumes that starting role this season, Al Horford's gone, Moses Brown's gone. Don't really have any centers. Starting center becomes a rookie in Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And they still and they've just stayed part of that course. There's been a 24 minute cut the last two seasons for these like six eight, six foot nine centers to try and space out the floor. And you've always had the 24 minutes for your centers, your seven footers, your six eleven guys that have had experience defending fives. Now, their hand has been forced, and they've been on an entirely different wavelength now. They are fully into the small ball system, and it's not even by choice. Already mentioned it with the Isaiah Roby situation. He was the last true steady member of the rotation that could play the five for you, and then he's dropped off, and then you get Baisley up against Rudy Gobert. Only center for the last game was Olivier Saar. Baisley... Yeah, he was listed as the center, but he's not really a center. You know, I don't think you can swing him as a center. Sometimes people have said he can't even play power forward. I think he probably can, but five, yeah, that might be pushing it uh, just a little bit. But looking at everything, they have been cleaned out. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, at the end of January, suffered that metatarsal injury. About two weeks left for him. Muscala has been out since the break. Derek Favors has been out as of five games ago. Now Isaiah Roby's gone too. So you are sort of on life support here in terms of what you have in the rotation. And one of the beauties of this Thunder roster uh, going into the uh, post-All-Star break was just their defense. It was a pretty efficient one and it kept them in all these games. When you look at the defensive efficiency, they ranked in the top 10. They were number 8 with a defensive efficiency of 108.6. However, since you saw Jeremiah Robinson Earl go out, I think it was January 28th, they have just sunk to the bottom. They have been the 7th worst team in defensive efficiency at 118.4. Fast forward to the last six games, they have allowed 123.5 points per game. That's third worst in the NBA. And just throwing this out there without more context is pretty dumb, right? Like it's not just due to centers not being there. You have Kenrich Williams not playing, Lou Dort not playing, Aaron Wiggins wasn't playing during these last six in, in some segments, and Josh Giddy hasn't been playing either. So that kind of scrapes a lot of what you have out from a defensive standpoint. So you have to value that. However, there are some aspects where you do have to look at the centers and say, hey, this might be a problem on you. When you look at starting centers, or just in general, let's look at it in general, teams have shot on average inside 10 feet against the Thunder uh, in these last six, like I said. And when you look inside, like inside five feet, every team should be shooting around 60%. That's not a big surprise. And if you would have told me that teams were shooting 63.2% just inside five feet, I wouldn't be too impressed because a lot of those are wide open chip shots. Five from nine feet though that's kind of when you get into that territory of okay well now it might be a bit of a problem teams have shot about 55 percent from that zone as well so when you combine the two you get to that grand total of 63.2 but when you actually dissect it into the two categories it doesn't look good for okc really at all what it has shown is that if you're setting high ball screen and if you got your point guards really just penetrating to the basket you're going to dominate, and if you get those big guys posting up, you're also going to dominate. Points in the paint have really been readily available since a lot of these centers have been ruled out for considerable amounts of time, and kind of gets you to thinking, you know, what's the problem? Well, the problem's right in front of you. You're starting Darius Baisley, and you don't have really any backup centers. Now, the one silver lining to this is OKC has been in the midst of arguably their roughest frontcourt patch of the season. When you look at the last six games, five out of the six have been dominant forces. Nikola Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, Damanis Sabonis, DeAndre Ayton, and the other one was Isaiah Jackson. But when you combine all these starting centers, they have shot collectively 37 of 57 from the floor. That's 64.9%, and that means... If you're feeding the big man, you're going to reap some benefits. And even going beyond just your starters, Nas Reed went 8-for-8 against the Thunder on Friday and dropped a 20-piece off the bench. Two dual threats for Minnesota. And you haven't really seen that for any other backup centers in this kind of group yet. But it just lets you know, if you have a guy that's able to dominate around the basket, they're going to be amplified and they're going to be a major contributor against this Thunder unit. And you don't have much left. When you look at the blue as well, they don't have much left either. It's kind of weird how this works. They don't have DJ Wilson right now. SARS on assignment. Jalen Hoard has been their starting center. So the entire Thunder organization has just been battling this major crisis as I'm talking about it. When you look at the timetables here, you don't have anything set in stone. Jeremiah Robinson Earl I talked about it on the last pod I saw him at the OSU Texas Tech game on Saturday I talked to him afterwards he said it'd be two weeks or a couple weeks until his injury heals up and he should be able to play again Isaiah Roby I would imagine he's probably good in the next like week or so it was back soreness that was sidelining him and it's kind of one of those injuries where it might be the new load management <laughs> um but yeah, you don't know 100% uh, on his severity or the length. But I would think it's not as bad as some of these other cases we've seen. With Favors and Mike Muscala, I really couldn't give you a timeline on either. Uh, you want to have one of those guys back, certainly, because those are your two true centers outside of Sar, and they'll be able to field some pretty damn productive minutes. But the squad of centers has just been trickled down immensely we don't know if Roby will be playing in tonight's matchup against the bucks if he's not look towards Baisley starting at the center spot again and then it's all up in the air on who's going to be defending Giannis Adetokounmpo because that man's a beast no center in the lineup might want to drive inside a little bit more than usual. So I'll say if Bayes is the starting five, it's going to be a big night for Giannis. Doesn't matter who it is at the five, honestly. Giannis will still get his, and I think he'll get it uh, in the paycom. But they'll be playing tonight. I will get you guys updates on that through Twitter, give you guys a pod on it shortly as well. And I've been wanting to do a podcast on the OKC Blue for a while, uh, just a straight-up episode because they have been playing some impressive basketball. There's been a lot of stories and there's not been a lot of coverage, so I'd like to fill that void. If you guys have any questions uh, you'd want to submit for an episode like that, make sure to let me know on my Twitter, at Ben Kreider, or you guys can go straight to the pod's Twitter, at ThunderstickPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.